Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. Ask people one name that's synonymous with KHQA, and that name would be none other than Carol Sowers. 30 years of reporting, anchoring, and being the news director, one would be hard-pressed to find someone as dedicated to the tri-state area as she was. In this season finale, we catch up with the one and only Carol Sowers. That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Travis, we're wrapping up season four, and how we do that is by breaking records and uh, Ghost Hollow Road, man, one of our biggest episodes uh, to date for uh, first week downloads and first month downloads. So uh, thanks for everybody that uh, sent out information and uh, passed the information along. But uh, of course, you know, Travis, it was some pretty cool info that we uh, we gave to the listeners. It seems that everyone has a soft spot in their heart for Ghost Hollow Road. Whether, whether they've been down there late at night messing around, doing the teenager thing or whatever, I think that obviously people <laughs> want to hear about it. And it, it's really mind-blowing to see what episodes kind of uh, just go crazy. And this has definitely been one, the biggest so far. So it was, it's been a fun ride to watch the numbers on this one, Chris. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, uh, make sure to do so. And then uh, also, we had a lot more on the Patreon side talking about our uh, adventures out there as we actually uh, did some uh, field research uh, leading up to the uh, uh, actual the episode. So if you could, uh, you want to get on Patreon, you can check that out. We'll tell you more information about that coming up in a few minutes. But I'll tell you what, Travis, a few people did take advantage of uh, becoming a new Patreon member. and We have uh, one to tell you about. That's right. We want to thank Kathy Van Hove for becoming a patron at the $8 Kelly Salad Bar level. Thanks so much, Kathy, for your support. Hope you're enjoying the bonus content. And uh, we may have a little video uh, if you're a patron coming soon to uh, about our excursion at Ghost Hollow Road. So keep your oh, eyes peel if you're a fun. Patreon. Yeah. Assuming Travis can get his stuff together and get this edited. It's a bit of a... <laughs> Some long, long video clips I'm dealing with. Yeah. My computer's a little unhappy with me. We'll get there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll come out. So yeah, you can check that out on Patreon and uh, get all the background information. We still have to do a Patreon outing for this season. We'll hopefully be doing that over the summertime. So our Patreon fans be listening for that. Uh, you know, we have the Patreon side, but we also have our website, wildquincy.com. You want to check out information for show notes or, or information on just the, the, the episodes we talk about, you can go to that website and check out the information that Travis puts out there for you for each and every episode. Uh, but not only that, but you get a chance that if you have a thoughts or maybe you want to give us some more information, stuff like that, uh, you can do that on the website as well. And, and Travis, we got a special uh, kind of message, uh, I guess we could say, from, from somebody. And uh, I'll let you fill us in on what it was. Yeah, this is coming from a couple episodes ago on the James Scott episode. Uh, we got a comment from none other than Adam Pitlick. We referenced Adam quite a bit in that episode. Adam wrote the book Damn to Eternity, the story of the man who they said caused the flood. Of course, talking about James Scott. and He, he found the episode and was very complimentary. He says, excellent work, gentlemen. Well-researched and well-informed. First time any news outlet, I don't know if we can call this a news outlet, but first time any news outlet in Quincy put forth a story with without confirmation bias. So that feels pretty good to get the praises of the guy who wrote the book on, on James yeah. Scott, I guess. Um, he also had a correction real quick. 
And I think in the episode we said there were uh, maybe four ways a levy system could fail. Adam seemed to think that it was six. So if we got our mm. got our numbers wrong, then uh, then uh, then we were yeah. a couple shy. But either way, he, we appreciate the feedback. He must have dug into that a little bit uh, more than I did. No pun intended there. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we definitely appreciate that. And um, yeah, I feel like uh, that episode again. We've had some amazing episodes this season, especially with it being the 30th anniversary of the flood of '93. Talking about that, and then of course talking about the crime aspect of 1993 with uh, James Scott. It's been an amazing ride. But uh, thank you, Adam, for uh, the uh, words of encouragement and uh, the the thanks that we got from him for that. It's just amazing to uh, get that from you know you look at the prospects of not let's take ourselves out of the news media because we're, we're definitely not in that realm of, of no the we would never never claim it but are flattered to to be mentioned exactly but you know if you take from where we're at not being a news outlet and being more of an informative historical aspect and not only us but then also adam we're pretty much the only two entities that have done something in that depth uh, according with james scott you know you've had these news reports like uh, i know for example our good fun buddy uh, rodney hart did an article on him but you know we haven't had anybody do an outside perspective so it's kind of neat that we're kind of in our <laughs> i hate to say this sounds kind of weird but we're kind of in our own class with adam so I'll take it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, he's probably got his beat on the research. Let's be honest. But, and he, but, he also uh, has a documentary too. So <laughs> that's right. He, he's doing he's doing just fine for himself. Yeah, we'll, he may have we'll a couple the, no, more notches than we do on it. But we'll uh, take the scraps. That's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. So again, thanks to them. Uh, thanks to Adam. And, and again, if you want to give us your thoughts, maybe you're not into the social medias. Don't want to do the Facebook or the Instagram. Or are we on TikTok yet? I I, I don't remember. We're getting too old for that stuff. I, I pretend I don't. You mean pretend that I'm cool enough to be on TikTok, Chris? <laughs> well, either way, uh, get get in touch with us. If not, go to our website, wildquincy.com, and uh, touch base with us there. All right. Well, Travis, so we have a, a big episode, supersized episode coming up your way in just a few minutes. But we have to do the question of the day. Of course, it is the last episode of this season. So we don't really have to preface what the next episode is because I'll be honest with you guys. We don't know what it is yet. All right. So we get to play uh, spin the wheel of Quincy questions. And I got one for you, Travis. Are you ready for this? I'm I'm ready and waiting. What do you have for me? All right. So here is the question of the day. Pretty simple. Which one of these events has taken place in Quincy? I'll give you a list. We have the Adams County Fair, the Illinois State Fair, the Illinois Valley Fair, or the Turkey Testicle Festival. <laughs> now, um can I ask a clarifying question? Sure, why not? When you say in Quincy, do you mean literally within the city limits? Yes, yes, okay. within the city limits of Quincy. So, uh, yeah, again, the question is this great cl clarification on that, Travis. Which one of these events has taken in place in the city limits of Quincy? Let's add that to it. This is the Adams County Fair, the Illinois State Fair, the Illinois Valley Fair, or the Turkey Testicle Festival? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the answer for that coming up for you at the end of this episode. But it is a people episode, and uh, we, uh, as Travis mentioned, is the uh, we'll call it the Mount Rushmore of uh, media, but I think you refer to it as the Stonehenge of media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, either way, it works. We're going to be talking with Carol Sowers, a former KHQA news director and anchor. She's going to be with us coming up next here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Here's
Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. You know, it was early morning, drinking our coffee, and Jack, our cat, was in the window watching, and like he was getting all excited all of a sudden. So he's like, oh, is there a squirrel outside? And so she looks out, and there is a squirrel, but it's in the mouth of a cat. Oh. And it was crazy. Was it dead? like, oh my God. Yeah, it was by the time I got out there. Uh, um, okay. Because I ran out, like, it's like, oh, maybe I could save the squirrel. And, like, the cat was just looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? And he ran off. And I was like, well, I mean, can I resuscitate this, this squirrel? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Well, Travis, uh, you know, we do these people episodes and, and we we find ourselves uh, surrounded by some amazing people. And I brought this up in the last week's uh, episode, but uh, and I think you actually brought it up that we're, we have the Mount Rushmore of of personalities when it comes to TV. And, right. and we're joined by one of those personalities right now. And that would be none other than Carol Sowers. Carol, welcome to Wild Quincy. Well, thank you. I've certainly never been described in that manner before. I know that for sure. Well, don't I'm, don't feel bad, Carol. I I had a mental uh, issue where I couldn't think of the the what the name of Mount Rushmore was, and I was I was st- calling it Stonehenge. I'm like, that's not right. Why did I say Stonehenge? So, so M- Mount Rushmore is much better. Uh, we've we decided than Stonehenge. So, yeah. I'm a bit scared to ask which uh, president I would represent. So let's, let's talk about that. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, well, yeah, we're certainly excited to have you here. Uh, as you will get into here in a minute, you had a long history in news in the Quincy area uh, and have retired from that and moved on to, to, to other things. But, you know, before we get everything started, one of the things I did joke with you before we started was that if you come up with any good Chad Jug- Douglas uh, jokes, uh, let us know because we're looking for those. Um, so we can tease okay. him a little bit. Okay, uh, I will we'll, put my thinking cap on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's get started with you. Uh, give us, give us the lowdown. Where did you grow up? Give us the, all the details of before you even got to KHQA. I was a tri-state girl. I grew up in Northeast Missouri, actually in Wayland, Missouri, oh. right up there in Clark County, and graduated from Clark County R1 High School. I then went to the University of Missouri and studied at the School of Journalism and was fortunate enough to get an internship at KHQA, which you're probably not going to believe this, but it actually is the station that I grew up watching. Hmm. Parents, for whatever reason, were very loyal KHQA viewers. I think probably because of Walter Cronkite and CBS. Mm. He was really the newsman of record when I was growing up, it seemed, in television. So my family watched Walter Cronkite at 5.30 and then the KHQA evening news at six o'clock the entire time I was growing up. 
As I said, I was lucky enough to get an internship at KHQA this summer between my junior and senior year in college. And then, wouldn't you know it, the day after I graduated from the University of Missouri, I got a call from the news director at the time who said they had a job opening for a reporter. So I slid right back into that newsroom and just never left. Wow. <laughs> that seems that seems so rare in today's world of, of spending your 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 career in, in that profession right there in one place. That's got to be is that a rarity in, in your experience? Do you know, it was even at the time that I was there, it was a little unusual to spend that much time in one place because this is a business where people like to move and shift and change and, and try to find the, the next really great opportunity. I was lucky enough that the television station kept giving me good opportunities right, right there. And I was able to do things that I really wanted to do. One of them was be on the anchor desk and I was able to do that. Another was I, I wanted to be a, a news director and I was able to do that right there. So KHQA was very, very good to me over the years. So let's get to back to the basics of, of your first, uh, when you first got employed and you first hired as an actual, uh, I guess, reporter, right? Were you like a field reporter? What, what, what was the layout when you first started? Right. I was a weekend reporter and three day a week reporter. So I think my schedule at first was Wednesday through Sunday, perhaps. I think I had Mondays and Tuesdays off when, you know, when you're a, a 22 year old, Mondays and Tuesdays, really, there's a lot going on in your life. So <laughs> it was it was really um, kind of a, a strange schedule to have at first, but yeah. I loved what I was doing. It was a lot of hard work because at that time, KHQA had no videographers. There was hmm. nobody except me to carry the camera. And at that time, it was basically a two-piece recording setup for the camera, a camera that was connected to a recorder that you carried over one shoulder, plus a tripod, plus lights, plus a notebook and a pen to figure out what questions you were going to ask and record some answers. It was an, an interesting uh, <laughs> way to start a job. Quite a company <laughs> fitness plan right there, it sounds like, yeah. <laughs> It was. <laughs> oh my! So, was there any was there any news stories from back then when you were just a, a reporter that stuck out? Is there anything that you remember? Do you remember the first story that you did or anything like that? The first story I did actually, I don't remember the first one I did when I came back full time, but I remember the first story that I did as an intern. Uh, it was Memorial Day. So there were a lot of Memorial Day celebrations and um, celebrations is probably not the right word for Memorial Day. Um, different events. Remembrances, that were, yeah. Yes, around the tri-states. And I went out with the news director who you know, wasn't sure exactly what my capabilities were going to be. And we went to a couple of different ones at least, maybe more than that. And then I put kind of a compilation story together mm. of those. So yeah, I distinctly remember that. And apparently <laughs> I did okay because I think the next day I was sent out on my own. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> That's pretty neat. So, yeah, kind of yeah. a sink or swim mentality. <laughs> yeah. So, so give us you, you. So you went from the reporting and weekend reporting to your first experience being at the anchor desk, and and so so when was that the transition? Was that the next step in the process for you? Right. So I started full time in June after graduation from college, and by I think August, I was starting to anchor our weekend newscasts. And I did that until the following spring, maybe April or May. And then I started anchoring our six o'clock newscast Monday through Friday. But I was also anchoring our Sunday night newscasts. Mm. On Mondays, I just went into the station at five o'clock and simply read the show. So I basically had Mondays off, but then I worked a full day's shift on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, had Saturdays off, and then worked a full shift on Sunday. Oh, wow. <laughs> Busy time. Yeah, I did that for, oh gosh, I can't remember, maybe a year. And then left the Sunday shift and worked just Monday through Friday from then on. Hmm. Yeah. So, so give us the experience. Uh, you, you, what was it like? Was, I mean, you, was that always kind of the goal coming out of uh, college that, man, I'd really want to be an anchor someday. Is that, I mean, was that the first uh, stepping stone for you? I always wanted to be on television. I think yeah. it was really what I felt comfortable doing. I had done a lot of uh, performances, I guess you could say, done a lot of theater in, in high school, had done a lot of music in high school and in college. So I was used to being in front of people, not necessarily always in front of a camera, but the University of Missouri also had a great training program. And I was actually not only reporting, reporting, but anchoring newscasts when I was in college. So I already had mm -hmm. some anchoring experience by the time I came to Quincy. So it was a little easier for me to step into that. Yeah. And, and so with the anchor desk, I mean, uh, obviously you spent many years. How many years did you spend being an anchor? <laughs> oh, my. Well, so I started immediately. I took about six years off from the anchor desk. At one okay. point, the corporate uh, hierarchy came in and said, Carol, we really feel like you're doing too many things. <laughs> and they let me choose. They mm. said, would you like to continue to be the news director and not anchor? Or would you like to be the anchor and not be the news director? And I felt like I had been on TV more than my share by that point. <laughs> And I said, I, I really prefer just to be the news director at this point in my career. And they said, fabulous. <laughs> so I stepped away. But as sometimes happens, when new managers then come in, they have different ideas. So when mm -hmm. a different management team came in, the first conversation that I had with my new boss consisted of, Carol, why aren't you on TV? And <laughs> we get you back. Right. So we talked about that for a little while. And then I finished my career on television, probably mm -hmm. for the last six years again, I'm guessing. Mm. I can't remember for sure. 
Now, transitioning from a you know kind of on the camera versus a behind the camera uh, presence at the at the, the news station, is it kind of like riding a bike when you when you get the call saying, "Hey, okay, we want you back in front of the camera again." Was it just a seamless transition for you, or how how did that you know uh, how does that work when you've kind of been so kind of all in in the news director role, and then you kind of have to right. shift back to being on camera again? Right. Well. Thankfully, it worked out better than I feared it might. (laughs) I think that they call it a red light reflex. And I think that if you're comfortable when that red light on the camera comes on, you're probably going to be comfortable today or tomorrow or a few years from now. There were some things that I had to refresh myself on, like how to run the teleprompter, which makes the, (laughs) the words of the script come up on the screen in front of us. So we look like we're Uh, reading really, really well instead of trying to look down at scripts all the time in front of us. So I had to practice a little bit with that. I've heard that's quite an art form to to get right from a couple different people. (laughs) That's that's one of those things. And I I even personally had to ever use a teleprompter. But I think in everybody's head, they think, oh, that's an easy, you just have to read what's on the screen. But you're, you're basically kind of driving a car with your, is it with your feet you're controlling the teleprompter with? There's every a lot tele- to that, right? Yeah, every teleprompter is different. So some you control with your hands. Sometimes you control them with your feet. I always preferred the one um, that had the pedal under my feet. Um, yeah, and it is a little bit like an accelerator pedal in a car. <laughs> you want to roll it, you know, yeah. make the words roll up in on the screen in front of you at the pace for you because if you move it too quickly then the words that you still need to read are going <laughs> to disappear before you get to them <laughs> that's bad um, oh. or they might not appear from the bottom as quickly as you need them to so you you do need to do some some practice and right. some work to to make that all work out smoothly I agree. and it's not like a not like a, a soap opera person where you can think about what you're going to say for a minute right yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, you have to say it, right? That's what we call dead air. So <laughs> we don't like right. that. <laughs> and not only are you controlling it for yourself, but aren't you also controlling it for your co-anchor as well if you have another person at the desk? Or do you both have control? Usually in our setup, we had dual controls. So oh, okay. I can- it at my pace my co-anchor whomever that might be could control it at his or her pace okay okay oh look at that we learned something new travis yeah <laughs> no that's that's i think it's one of those things like that which i always find interesting just like the tools of the trade and something that most, most people never think about who are just sitting there watching the news but just everything that's happening that you behind the scenes and what you can't see is just always so interesting to me so it's uh like to have a little peek behind the curtain so that's fun yeah yeah, yeah well you know i don't know how much i should reveal right yeah we'll, 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 we'll keep it pretty pretty high level yeah. can't keep giving away the industry secrets here um so so again tell uh, with your your times as an anchor uh, is there anything that anything that sticks out like you know there's there's been a lot of events and there was a lot of events over your time uh, in, in the news world in quincy is there any time maybe a live event or something that happened you were there and you were a part of is there something that sticks out in your mind Sure. Well, the flood of 1993 probably sticks out the most simply because it wasn't just one news event. It lasted for months Mm. because the water, of course, didn't disappear 
for weeks and weeks. And then we were dealing with the aftermath, all of the people and their property that was affected and the cleanup and how it was going to be paid for. And uh, the stories were just endless. And I'm sure there are still stories that could be done on the aftermath of the flood of 1993 in the tri-state community somewhere. So that's the event that probably sticks out the most in my mind. I remember when the levee broke in July, I believe it was July 16th in uh, West Quincy. And of course, this started happening and we didn't have the type of broadcast live capabilities that we do now. We had some, but it wasn't as extensive. And so I was just on the air with people literally running information into me. They would be on the phone and they would be getting phone calls and bringing information on scraps of paper. And I stayed on the air from Oh, I want to say that levee break, we got news of it sometime around the middle of the evening, I'm going to say shortly after eight Mm o'clock. And I stayed on the air until the end of the 10 o'clock news at 1030 Mm. with no scripts in my hand, Mm, nothing on the teleprompter. And I was getting messages in that earpiece in my ear occasionally saying, we have contacted this person and they are going to be live on the phone with us, for instance, or we Mm. have this live report coming in. Not as many live reports as we're capable of doing today. It was a lot of repetition it was a lot of going back and, and saying, here's what we know. If you have information, please contact us. It was quite something. It was mm. exhausting in many ways. It was also exhilarating in many ways. Not not that I enjoyed it. I don't mean that because it was horrific for the right. people who, right. who lost property. But it was certainly something that got your adrenaline pumping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I was, I mean, I I worked in radio, and you know, we uh, I used to do weather analysis for severe weather when when we had severe weather. So I would do the live reports and and, and give them updates and radar. And it, it's a very and I I know what you're saying. It's like you know, there's stuff that's happening that's horrible, but it's like the 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 you know, you're so connected to it and, and passionate about trying to get that information out to those people that it's 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 got its own type of exhilaration that's not related to necessarily the event that's going on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're trying to impart information and educate and inform, especially because there was such a safety concern mm-hmm. during the the flood and and its aftermaths that you wanted to get that information out to people as quickly and as succinctly and as accurately as you possibly could. That was a time when you didn't want to make any mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. So. Uh, we, you know, you spent many years. Give us an idea of when was retirement for you? It's been it's been a few years now, right? It has. I chose to step away in November of 2014. Oh wow! So I had been doing this for almost 30 years at that point. I had actually been an intern in the summer of 1984, and then uh, 
came back full time in the summer of 1985 when I graduated from college. Wow. So everybody's going to be able to figure out my age now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do math well, that helps. No, we don't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had really been reporting in some fashion in, in Quincy for 30 years. There wasn't, um, you know, any big reason that I decided to step away. It just felt like the right time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, 30 years is a long time to do anything. Mm. I thought that there were some great people behind me, like Chad Douglas, for instance, was one of them who could step in and and fill any roles that I was stepping away from. And I thought it was an opportunity to just see what else was out there besides broadcast television in my life. I really had no intention of working again. I thought that I was going to, you know, explore some things that I really hadn't had time for. Because as you all know, when you are in any kind of a a news job, your time isn't always your own. You may have scheduled things, but they may not happen depending upon breaking news and and any other things that that may come up, especially since I was not only one of our main anchors for so many years, but also in management for so many years. I I felt Mm -hmm. a, a big responsibility to those duties. So it was time to actually be able to plan my own schedule a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So uh, you, you bring up a good va- uh, point real quick is that with almost the nearly 30 years in, in in the news world, how much did it feel like it changed from, you know, the mid 80s time frame to when you when you finally retired? Was did it feel like the world of, of not only from the technology standpoint from just but just from news reporting? How much did it change in those years? News reporting is news reporting, I think. Um, it depends upon sometimes the the focus a little bit might change depending upon what your station's philosophy might be mm. or what the corporate philosophy might be. But good, sound news journalism is never going to change. It's really about how you put it all together. And the technology certainly changed dramatically. (laughs) The um, last thing that was really starting to bubble over as I was leaving was the influence of social media. We had no idea that there would be Facebook and Twitter and blogs and podcasts and webcasts and all these other things that would allow people to give information and give their opinions about information in in a way that I don't think anybody could have seen coming. Mm-hmm. So that was really starting to change the landscape a little bit. Yeah. Well, it really makes you think too, when you were talking about that with how, you know, if you look at, I'm not sure a good example, let's say 70 years ago where you had newspapers, maybe 90 years ago, you had newspapers that were like, all right, well, we get their information news out twice a day if we do a twice a day, you know, newspaper. And then all of a sudden you have radio stations come along like, well, we can disseminate this news a lot quicker. And then TV stations come along. And now, you know, when you got to the TV's point, you're like, oh, well, this has got to be as far as it goes, right? We just get news out every once in a while or whenever we need to. And now you have this technology of Facebook and Twitter and all this. It's just like right 
in your face 24 7 it's it's really impressive you've really like you kind of summed it up really nice there of how how crazy it's gotten just in in the last 30 years but especially longer than that and you can do it all on your phone on, on your phone <laughs> It's crazy. There's no way that I could ever imagine that you could do basically the same things that it took me pounds and pounds and pounds of equipment to accomplish in 1984 and five when I started that you could do on this little handheld device. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. I I do have a question based off that, though, Carol, and that I've asked a few people who've had a history in journalism with the world evolving how it has where everybody's a potentially a in their mind a reporter does the amount of quote-unquote news that makes it out today by maybe questionable sources is that diluting the power of journalism or is it strengthening journalism in your opinion having so many maybe people out there who maybe think they're contributing but is is there a lot of is there more noise than actual substance or how how do you see that from you know being trained in journalism back in in the days where the only people that could tell these stories are the people that have been trained and who have the equipment to do it is it dangerous to journalism to not have those people that maybe have the same background yeah i think there's a difference between journalism and just putting information out there. And I think it is more incumbent upon the receiver of news and information now to really vet those sources. Yeah. There you're right, Travis, there is so much information out there now that sometimes I feel like I'm bombarded with it. Um it I understand why people need to just put down their phones and shut their laptops and turn off their television occasionally now, because sometimes it feels like you just can't get away from it. But again, I think it is so important for anybody to look at the source, to figure out whether it's a source that they trust whether it's a source that has done the proper amount of research that is a balanced, mm-hmm. objective source. If you're not interested in those things, if that doesn't matter to you, then sure, it's going to be easier for you, you to gather information. I want to know <laughs> as best I can where my news is coming from and whether those people are really trained in the ethics and the policies and procedures that I believe are important. So I am probably not the typical average news consumer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I probably spend a little more time zeroing in on what matters to me about a news and information program or article or any other source. Yeah, I think you're right. You bring up a good point about especially the biased part. You know, it seems like that's getting more and more to the extreme anymore that you're seeing very one-sided stories. And I actually got to the point where, um, you know, I have my own political views, but I wanted to get like, I'm tired of hearing the one-sided stuff. I'm like, what news sources are out there that are just going to be straight down the middle, not be biased, not have, well, this is what it should be kind of stuff. And it's nearly impossible to find it, it seems like today. Well, this is not new. 
even in tiny communities back decades ago, there often would be a Republican newspaper and a Democratic newspaper. Quincy was no different even, yeah, the competing newspapers across the square years ago, absolutely. Right. So we have really a a good long history with with that kind of separation. It, it just seems to be a greater divide now, I think, because there are so many yeah. different sources on either side of the political spectrum. Is it weird to, to like think like that you want to be a not like, you know, I, is it weird to be I'm, I'm trying to think how to explain this. It's like you have uh, kind of you want to hear the other side, right? You want to be like, OK, well, maybe maybe that Democrats are right about this, or maybe Republicans are right about this and I'm vice versa, but you can never get something down the middle. It's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm on a rant here, Travis. Maybe you need to dig me out of this hole. Well, yeah, (laughs) let's put the shovel down, Chris. No, um, (laughs) no, uh, you know, to your point though, you know, I think, I think, and this again, I'm not trying to get on a political rant here because I don't have a dog in the fight, right? You know, I don't pick a side necessarily. Um, But, you know, I wonder a, a lot about how, the the landscape of journalism from more of a corporate conglomerate scenario oh, kind yeah. of evolving where these small markets are kind of being gobbled up in some cases from an you know an ownership standpoint and that's not necessarily new but obviously just here in Quincy we've seen a lot of evolution in in you know the ownership of the local stations and how our news is delivered to us and it's feels like in a lot of cases it's that necessarily doesn't have the same finger on the pulse as, you know, that person who's your neighbor down the street necessarily reading you the news. And I think some of that, Chris, could, uh, to your point, it sounds like that's that's feeding into maybe maybe the same what's important to that, you know, us from a Quincy mm-hmm. society, your neighborhood, to the, the news source where that newscast is actually coming from might not be completely 100% on the mark. And may, maybe that kind of plays into the just the the bias that you kind of have come to expect versus what you're being yeah. delivered. And I mean, what, what's your thoughts on how the evolution, Carol, of of how the news is presented from kind of a, a one-size-fits-all to the local person down the street you see at the grocery store? It, it, it's, so, it's so different, it seems like. Well, of course, I'm no longer living in the Kiaka Cannibal Quincy market, so it's hard for me to speak specifically about that. I am aware of some of the changes that have happened in local markets like Quincy and uh, across the country, and it's the same really in so many places. It's just another evolution. I'm not saying that I think it's necessarily a a good evolution, but it's where we're living now. Right, yeah. so, That's a good point. Uh, my suggestion, if I may be so bold, Please. would be to people who are living in Keokuk, Hannibal, Quincy, Cahoka, Canton, Pittsfield, I could go on and on and naming communities around there. Don't give up hmm. in trying to contact your local media sources and giving them information that you think is valuable and worthwhile and newsworthy. All of those newsrooms that were around when I was there are even smaller. So there are Mm -hmm. fewer people who are trying to do the same job. They can't possibly be everywhere at once. It's just physically impossible 
uh, mentally impossible yeah. to try to keep track of, of everything that might be newsworthy in all of those communities. So if you have what you feel is an issue, a problem, a newsworthy event that's coming up, a wonderful story that you think would be heartwarming and shareable for other people in the tri-states, contact those newsrooms. Pick a person that you like. Either you like reading their articles, you like listening to them, or you like watching them, and find a way to contact them. It's so much easier now because any website for any of those media outlets are going to have probably both emails and cell phone numbers and Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so pick your poison, whatever you think is the, the easiest way for you to contact them. But don't give up on that. Hmm. Be an, an active participant in the news process. If you hmm. care about what is being reported and how it's being reported, go ahead and and contact those people. I can't guarantee you that every story that you're interested in is actually going to make it into some kind of a, a news article or newscast, but it's not going to if you don't try. It's kind of like know. winning the lottery. Yeah. You're never going to win if you don't play, you know? <laughs> Great point. Right, exactly. I, I do want to point real quick that I did like, and I'm curious how often you did this in the last 40 years is put Qu uh, the Keokuk Hannibal Quincy considering that's K-H-Q-A um, because we did learn just recently I didn't wasn't aware of this I was asking Chad I was asking for a question we do a question of the day I was asking Chad I was like hey give me a question of the day of K-H-Q-A related and he's like well did you know what K-H-Q-A stands for and I was like no and he's like Keokuk Hannibal Quincy and I, I think it was just funny you just did that <laughs> is that something you've been doing a long time for the last 40 years or 30 years <laughs> yeah, probably drilled into our heads a lot <laughs> Now, now, you know that when television stations actually were named, that they started naming stations on one side of the Mississippi River, starting with W, and that was on the East Coast. For instance, all of the stations here in New York, where I live now, all start with a W. The ones on the West side of the Mississippi River start with a K. So here's a real trivia question. Ooh. Why would KHQA in Quincy start with a K? Because that's on the east side of the Mississippi. I, I, can, I, can I answer it? I think I know it. I think I know it. You Is it because the transmitter was in Hannibal? Yes. The original. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah, the original license was in Hannibal, Missouri. Okay. And then after a time, the main news operations and the entire station moved to Quincy. But we kept mm. the license in Hannibal. And you might know that there was actually a Hannibal studio in Hannibal on Palmyra Road for mm. decades. It was shut down, oh my, not long before I retired. Hmm. Really? It was that long? Wow. Is that is a fire station now, I believe, or it's owned by the fire department, I believe. I think you're correct. <laughs> it might be just right down the street from my where I'm living right now. So we just oh, well, moved. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I just see the big fire billboard on the side of the wall all the time. That kind of kind of might hint towards it. But uh, one other, a couple other things. I know we're running short on time here. One of the things I do want to talk about real quick 
we talk about obviously the Republican Democrat stuff. We're not going to talk politics, but we are going to talk about competition for just a minute. With you going through the history of all the time at KHQA, how how important or how how interesting, I guess, for a better word, was the competition between KHQA and WGEM? It's what kept us on our toes. There is no question that WGEM was a worthy competitor over the years, and that is putting it mildly. I was fortunate enough to have some really good friends who worked at WGEM over the years because we were all in this game together. And Quincy is a small community, and we had certainly things in common. So it made sense for a lot of us over the years to just gravitate toward each other (laughs) and become friendly. It certainly made things easier and more fun. I think that everybody understood what the boundaries were. We would talk about stories in the abstract. We didn't talk about our individual sources or the way we were handling a particular story or what we were going to cover tomorrow. We would talk about what we covered yesterday, all of us, but we didn't necessarily look ahead. And I think, I hope that there would be some people over the years at WGEM who felt the same way, Mm. that it was something that um, was a very healthy competition. And I think that was good for everybody. I think that's where there are perhaps some, some struggles as we look forward to what may be happening to the general media landscape. Right, right. Good point. Good point. I had a question on, if I can real quick. Chris, uh, circling back related to the flood, uh, one of the the villains that certainly uh, came across from the flood was obviously James Scott. Chris, um, listeners will know we've, we talked about the flood recently and James Scott, but you had an interesting request to be interviewed by James Scott. Uh, do, do you remember much of, of those interactions, Carol? And, and, and walk us through what that was like to be informed that, hey, he wants to talk to you. Right, I, I do. Mean, that's a weird. That's kind of a weird spot to be in, right? It was. Of, of course, we had covered um, his trials and uh, all of that uh, shortly after the flood of '93 was over, I guess. But I'm trying to remember the year. It was maybe 2010, 2012. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. I got a letter at the television station sent from the prison facility where I assume he still is um, Mm -hmm. in the same facility um, near Jefferson City, uh, saying that he wanted to tell me his story. And I just felt like it was an opportunity that we hadn't had and certainly had not had for 20 years or so by that point. So I had to go through all the usual permissions to be allowed to talk to an inmate and had to get permission all the way up my corporate structure because it's unusual Mm -hmm. that a reporter would go into a prison and talk to a a prisoner. That just doesn't happen every day. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's anything that anybody at KHQA had ever done before. I didn't remember it anyway in in my time there. So this was new and different, and we wanted to be sure that we did it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, I did go and talk to Jimmy Scott. And 
it was quite an experience. First of all, just going to a prison and being inside that very, very enclosed space is daunting. Yeah, I bet. At the least. Uh, I, I felt no fear, certainly not from him nor from anybody else. I knew that I was very well protected and that they had a vested interest in keeping me and my videographer as safe as possible. Um, it was interesting to talk to him. It was interesting to hear if there were any changes in his perspective from what he had first told uh, police who interviewed him that the night of the levee break, yeah. as I recall, there weren't many changes from what he had said initially, if any. Uh, but it was an opportunity that I felt people should have. If if he wanted to speak and, and wanted to reach out, I, f I felt at the time that people needed that opportunity to hear him. Did you feel like his story was genuine when he was telling it to you? I think that he believed in what he was telling me. Okay. Um, now whether it, it, it's hard to say whether that yeah. story had just become so familiar over the years, right. good point. Um, I'm certainly not going to second guess, not just one, but two different court cases <laughs> <Right. Sure. laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> because I wasn't in the courtroom. I was not the reporter from KHQA who went to cover either of those trials. So I was back in the Quincy studio at the time. So I I wasn't able to hear all of the testimony, mm -hmm. but it, it seems like a a valid decision was made by the court. Right, I, absolutely. I will say based based upon the evidence that they heard. Right. right. Yeah, and and we're not going to say did he did he or didn't he right. do it. I mean, I don't think no one will ever know for sure except for him and him and uh, God above, so to speak. Um, going into that interview, was there any like pre-screen questions or was it just very impromptu? How, how did that work from a, I got to think that's journal journalistically speaking, that's got to be an interesting position to be in being face to face across the table with, you know, a criminal who's really, gosh, his notoriety is so big. I mean, was it, what, did you find that your, your training just kicked in in the, that instance or was it a smooth conversation? How's that, how'd that work? I felt and I hoped, I guess, when he had reached out to me specifically to ask me to come and interview him, that there was already a bit of a level of trust with me. And my goal going into it was to get him to trust me and to get him talking. Yeah. I didn't want to do an interview with him where he was just answering yes or no questions. Right. I wanted to get him to tell me as much of his story as he was willing to tell and to try to pull more out of him if I could. So I, I wanted to just establish some level of comfort, comfortability, I, I guess is probably the, the best way to phrase it. Yeah, no, that was. I think that was a an interesting feather to have in in your hat, so to speak, on on you know, on <laughs> on your day to day journalism and everything else. Is that's yeah. that's really something? I noticed that last year, um, was it last year? One, yeah, no, I guess maybe earlier this year they started putting some um, old pieces out. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
flood of 93. And, and that was one that I noticed coming back up on YouTube and different places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're just around the corner. Technically we're only like so many days away, a couple days yeah. away from the, the 30 year anniversary of when, when the right. West Quincy levy broke. So, um, so that's pretty, pretty amazing. A couple last things we got to wrap up with. We talked about you retiring in 2014. What happened to Carol Sowers after that? Where's she at now? <laughs> a surprising amount has happened. <laughs> <laughs> I have been since February of 2015 a communication specialist primarily teaching trial attorneys, the attorneys that are going into the courtroom and actually trying cases. So I work for a, a variety of different organizations. As a consultant, I am not full-time employed by anybody. This is a consultancy that I do. So I am working for an organization called the National Institute for Trial Advocacy occasionally, and also for an organization called CPD Training, which is in the United Kingdom and does very similar trainings for trial barristers over there. And I have been fortunate enough to travel the world and be able to train attorneys all across um, the United States. I'm going in August to Chicago and train a group of attorneys, but I've been in all corners of our country. But then I've also trained attorneys in Vienna and Tasmania and Tanzania wow. and Myanmar and Frankfurt and Belfast. Um, those are the ones that I can... Wow top of my head. So this has turned into quite a retirement gig. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds that way. Certainly not anything that I anticipated, but it has been remarkably rewarding. And again, I had no idea that I was going to do this. What I've discovered though, is good communication skills are universal. It really doesn't make any difference whether you are communicating effectively in a newsroom or in a boardroom or in a courtroom. If you have good communication skills, they are going to translate into any situation. So that's really the way I approach working with attorneys. I've also worked with some other professionals, corporate professionals, um, a Fortune 100 company, people who are just interested in making their presentations better. Interesting. Well, that sounds like fun. So, you're going to be doing this for for a while, or, or are you going to go to one of those uh, go to one of those countries and just end up staying there? <laughs> well, I, I don't think so. That's not in in my plan. Okay. Um, I moved to my husband and I moved to New York. It's been three and a half years ago now, and our timing was terrible. We moved oh, in February no, no. of 2020. That was right before the shutdown happened, of course, because of the pandemic. So our initial move to New York City was not exactly as we had anticipated. <laughs> but, but not. Yeah. You know, as so many things do, it really has worked out. And mm-hmm. we were able to explore the city in a way that we didn't anticipate, certainly with not a lot of other people around, <laughs> uh, because New York City emptied out in yeah. many ways during the height of the pandemic. But it's back, and 
I can't say better than ever because I didn't live here before, but, <laughs> but certainly seems to have come back to life. Um, so it's nice to be here. It's certainly different from Quincy. It's about the furthest away from Quincy or right. certainly Wayland or Clark County, Missouri. <laughs> that I ever mm. anticipated being, wow. but it's, it's been a, a really nice move for us and we're That's having good. a great time. And That's we like to say that our guest room is very, very popular now. I bet. <laughs> a lot of friends and family have made their way to New York City. <laughs> That'll happen, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, let's. We're gonna wrap things up, but before we do, we had to bring you back to Quincy for a moment, okay? Because we do this thing uh, with our guest uh, where we do these lightning round questions. And they're Quincy eccentric questions. So they don't have to be quick. All right. You can just think about them or take your time or whatever. Uh, but these are Quincy eccentric questions and, and want to give you some. Are you ready for these? I think so. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with an easy one. Favorite pizza in Quincy. Oh, that was harder than I thought. She had to think about it. <laughs> it's a lot of good options. A lot of good yeah. Options. Um, tower. Tower. Oh, tower. Good call. Uh-huh. Good call. All right. All right. Uh, favorite food item in Quincy? Oh, boy. <laughs> hitting the hard questions today. <laughs> yeah. And all very food related. Um, Quincy loves its food. You know that. Yep, you know that. <laughs> yeah. Try getting a good tenderloin over there in New York, huh? Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. Ooh, can I pass and come back? Yeah, we can come back to that one. All yeah, right. Uh, so, so I'm not sure where your sports uh, affiliates are at, but do you have a favorite sports team? If you had to choose one, I was always can be professional. More, it can be professional. Sure, sure. Yeah, I would say that I was probably more of an NBA fan. I was always mm. more of a, a basketball fan than either baseball or football. So probably I spent more time paying attention to the Bulls than anything. Nice. Good. Yeah. Oh. I mean, well, MJ was there. You can't, yeah. you can't not pay attention. Legacy to legacy going on yeah, up there. Yeah. Those, those teams when oh my gosh. was there were just incredible. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, how about favorite Quincy event, past or present? Oh, you have to love the Dogwood Festival. Hmm. It's, yeah. it's such a tradition. I remember going to the Dogwood Festival and the parade when I was a child and seeing the beautiful dogwood trees in bloom, hopefully at the same time that yeah. the Dogwood Festival <laughs> was happening. That was always a bit of a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what brings people out. And I'm happy to see that it's still going strong from what I understand. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, last one here, and, and you've kind of already done this, but let's just say uh, if you did it again, if you were to pick a completely different career, what would you like to do? <sighs> it's hard to imagine after all these years doing anything other than something in the communication business. Mm. Um, I, I think it's what I probably naturally gravitated toward. You know, I don't think there are all that many people who get to really study what they want to and then get to do mm, what true. they want to and what they have studied for now really 40 years yeah. because I'm still doing some form of communication. I'm just, you know, in a little different area. 
most people just don't get that opportunity. And I loved going to work almost every day. There were, we all had days, right? But I loved going to work at KHQA almost every day. And it was something new every day. It was something challenging. It was something interesting. I had the opportunity to work with a variety of extraordinary people, some who are still around, some who have gone on to bigger and, and better things in either in journalism or outside of journalism. So I I just don't know. I think that mm-hmm. probably I would do something similar as, yeah. as close to that in today's world all over again. Yeah. Uh, that says a lot right there. So it definitely right. does. I've got to sneak well, in one more question, Chris. Okay. All right. And I only say this because I was I was seeing some of the, your lovely videos that uh, people put together at KHQA kind of as a send off to you when you retired. <laughs> and I was surprised to see one appearance Around here in the Quincy area, there's there's a video that makes its rounds on YouTube from time to time, and it's been become known as the Lorch Cast, and I can <laughs> tell you're familiar. Well, well, one of these people wishing you well was none other than Matt Lorch, the infamous person of the Lorch Cast. It's a it was a sports cast that everything that could possibly gone wrong kind of went wrong, and and he was thanking you for not firing him at the time and i had to laugh that he could see the humor in it matt's obviously gone on to have a great career in journalism but i have to ask how you how you handled such a catastrophic event as the lorch cast well first of all you have to give matt credit yes you do because he didn't give up no, he did not give up. You're right. Kept going. And so many of those things were out of his control. And he just had a smile on his face and kept going. And Maybe, maybe a little bit deer in headlights. Let's be honest. Yeah, but uh, had a smile on his face at the end and the next day. And more than anything, you have to go back and diagnose and analyze right. and try to figure out where things might have gone wrong, what he could have done differently, what anybody else in, involved in that particular piece of, of <laughs> sports casting right, could right. differently and do your best to make sure it never happened again. Now, you mentioned Matt went on to a fantastic career mm-hmm. and worked in some yes. remarkable markets in Boston and Seattle and wow. really did us proud. Absolutely. And despite what has now become known infamously as the Lorch cast, years later, when Matt was working up to this marvelous career that he had in another place far beyond Quincy, I got a call from him one day and he was thanking me and said, I really appreciate everything that you tried to drill into my head (laughs) when I was a young reporter, because he said it served me well. And there are lessons that I still think about that you taught me every day. And you know, I think when somebody takes the time, first of all, to make that kind of a phone call, yeah. it's so, so appreciated. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was the kind of person and the kind of journalist who could take mm-hmm, what was a disastrous five minutes out of his career. He found a little lemonade in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and build on that. And I'm sure that well, it was a really, really tough lesson for him and everybody else involved. It's a lesson that he didn't forget. 
And I'm sure that if there was any way that he could prevent something like that from happening again, he did. And I say that not to poke fun at Matt, but really, I think it really speaks to the bigger point of how much of a mentor you were to so many people. And that is clearly evident in all the the wishing you well when you did leave Quincy. And I mean, Chad's echoed that sentiment when we talked to him and just, you know, thank you for for leaving Quincy and, and installing so much into the future journalist that followed you, because that's a huge ability in a, such a can be a very hardcore competitive landscape to have somebody they'll take the time and leave you better than you were and give you constructive criticism. And I, I think you did everyone a service for that in the area and much and even beyond that. So thank you. Well, thank you. I didn't really realize I was doing that. <laughs> it's, it's very flattering and very complimentary to hear you you say that. I, I think there it, there's a bit of hyperbole there, but I appreciate it. Um, but I think that's, in a lot of ways, what made this next career that I have had so much easier is because I didn't consider myself a teacher necessarily when I was at KHQA, but hopefully I tried anyway to lead by example as much as I could. And, you know, some teaching probably snuck in there occasionally. (laughs) And now I'm able to do that with other people in other ways. Absolutely. Well, Carol, this has been an an amazing opportunity to talk with you and and we couldn't be more happier to uh, sit here and learn about your past and learn about all the great stories. And uh, before you leave, is there any uh, last words Quincy wise, uh, you know, that you wanted to surpass on maybe some more knowledge, maybe into the wild Quincy uh, (laughs) uh, guys here, maybe help us out. (laughs) I don't know if I have any more words of wisdom. I will say how appreciative I am for my time in Quincy. It was an incredible opportunity. And especially when I was so young and so green in the business, people were always kind and they were always um, supportive and they were always, I felt fair with me. And I cannot have wished for a better opportunity than the one I had in Quincy. It is a time in my life that I will always look back at fondly. And the people, I still have many, many friends there who I keep in remarkably close contact with. So Quincy will always have a, a special place in my heart and and that community. Well, thank you so much, Carol, yes, thank you. for coming on and joining us here on Wild Quincy. And hopefully we can get you back sometime in the future. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I'm, I'm so pleased <laughs> you dug deep into the history and, and pulled my name out of your hat. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Thanks for coming on here. Well, and that uh, is a look of uh, Carol Sowers, uh, our People episode. And we'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. Come on, take out, take out, take in, take in, Casano's flavor. Take out, take out, take in, take in, a great pizza. With all the extras, it goes better. Pizza, etc. At Casano's. Take out, take out, take in, take in, Casano's flavor. Take out, take out, take in, take in, a great pizza. With all the extras, it goes better. Pizza, etc. Casano's for the flavor you remember. 
uh, you said it, Travis, before we got on here, it's like, man, it's time to go eat some Cassano's. Am I right? I can do some serious damage to Cassano's pizza. <laughs> I mean, it's just so good. It's so good. I love it. I love it fresh. I love it the next day, leftover, oh, cold. Right. Oh, man. Who does the squares better than It's Cassano's? the square I mean, beyond compare, Chris. That's right. Is that there? I don't no, know. That's, 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 some, that's emos. It's somebody's. <laughs> that's emos. Yeah, but it's not true because Cassano's is better. So That's right. Well, the problem with that is is you're like, oh, I, I haven't had that many squares. And then you eat like half of a large pizza. And you're like, it didn't seem like that It's much. a mental thing. You're absolutely <laughs> right. It's it's totally, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, well, Cassano's is the Pizza King. That's the actual name of it. Uh, it's uh, operated under the brand Cassano's. Uh, chain is based, uh, you know, and this is the thing. Let me get back to this real quick, Travis. I always thought Cassano's was like a Quincy Hannibal local restaurant, right? Like they originated here. That is not the case at all. <laughs> so Cassano's is actually based in Dayton, Ohio. It dates back to 1953. Uh, it was by a grocer by the name of Victor Cassano uh, and his mother-in-law that uh, put the, the restaurant together. And if I'm seeing this right, uh, there are 34 Cassano pizza restaurants in the Dayton area alone. That's impressive. Uh, so that's uh, now they expanded out there in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia, Michigan, and of course Illinois and Missouri. Uh, I'm trying to see over a hundred locations now uh, is what they have in total um, in total stores. And it says it, it uh, was uh, recently sold to a company called Greyhound Food Management uh, in 1986. And so uh, yeah, Domino's. Uh, uh, sorry, it says here Domino's. Uh, it's it competes with Domino's. It says. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there you go. Cassano's, the Pizza King, uh, of course, here locally handle. Have you Quincy? Have you ever been to yeah. a Pizza King? No, I haven't. Have yes, you? I for the day yeah. job uh, myself and actually listener Jordan was. Uh, I think we were in remote Indiana in a super small town. It was the only place that came up, and it was a Pizza King. And I, and I didn't make the connection until we got there, and we went in and we sat down. And it was like a bizarro world. Like the menu was exactly the same. I'm like, wait a minute, Pizza King? Isn't that like? And it was the the huh. dude, the guy from the Casanos, you know, with uh, with the crown. Yeah, uh-huh. and that was Pizza yeah, yeah, King. Yeah. And it was like a bizarro huh. world. The menus were almost identical, but this went by Pizza King and not Casanos. So it was quite a not. Cassano's. It was like the ups- I was in the upside down or the, you know, the, the bizarro world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so I've been there man. once. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that they separated those out. So that's that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, uh, Casano's is a, an amazing place. And uh, uh, by the way, guys, I know we talked about this. Uh, unless some miracle occurs, probably season five is not going to have throwback ads from the Quincy area. It is just getting nearly impossible. And so unless we can find some or have somebody send us some, which we would love to have, uh, we're probably going to change that up a little bit for next season. So uh, be on the lookout for that uh time for some golden pipes absolutely and now 
it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. All right, Travis, it's the last episode of the season, as mentioned. And uh, so what we need to do is kind of do some cleanup because we'll be asking for some new numbers on our Facebook page coming up here uh, in about a month or so. Uh, but I decided it was time to make sure that we, we covered all of our bases with the ones that we did last time. So this is kind of a hodgepodge of those that um, have sent us uh, numbers I just never got around to. Um, some of them just, you know, didn't weren't the you know amazing like fall on your face kind and of funny. Some are missing. Uh, can we not? Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I haven't let that go that? yet. I still want to figure out where these missing numbers are, Chris. There's a lot too. We need to we need to explore. We're gonna that, go uh, to the Clint's archives. University. We're gonna check this stuff yeah. out, and we're gonna find the hidden knowledge that is too hot, too hot for for the the, uh, yeah. the PDFs. Yeah. And then we're gonna, and then we're gonna go find the five volumes of his hoodoo uh, that he did as well. So we'll, we'll have to. There, there's so much a uh, a Hyatt episode coming up in in our future, just talking about this guy. Uh, but uh, so let's let's go through some of these cleanups and let's start with uh, who the guy we just heard from, the Golden Pipes himself. Oh, very well. Uh, Yes, uh, Bo giving us a response here. His number was 1988. It says here, it's uh, lucky to have a black cat come to your house. The blacker the cat, the better the luck. All right. Blacker the, blacker the cat, the better the, the better the luck? Yeah. So, so yeah. E- even if it crosses your path, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as it's coming to your house, you're you're good okay. to go. Uh, so, so again, continuing on, we go to uh, the next one, which is uh, close to your it's close to your heart. Well, your mother uh, gave us a selection. Okay. Uh, yes, she chose number one, and sounds, I've never told anybody right. what number one is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is there background story? Not really. <laughs> just... <laughs> okay. Well, number one is, of course, the weather. And so uh, the number one in uh, folklore from Adams County is during warm weather, when the air is moist and no breeze stirs, expect a thunderstorm. Okay. Okay. A few more here to give you. Helen Rogerson. I kind of liked this one. It's a 1974. If while going down the street, a black cat is met, you will have bad luck unless you return home and start your journey again. See, we so, have we have competing information on the black cats already. That's uh, no, 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 not really. Mm-hmm. So if, if the black cat comes to your house, it's good luck. But if you come across the black cat while you're leaving and going somewhere, you have to go back. Otherwise, it's bad luck. Okay. 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 All right. We might, need a, flow, uh, we we might go- need a flow chart on how to how to deal with black cats. <laughs> it's getting confusing. Exactly. Uh, longtime supporter, uh, Patreon supporter, Amanda Van Ness gave us one number thirteen, kind of high up on those numbers again. By the way, choose higher numbers next year. Uh, as, uh, number thirteen though is as soon as ants start to tear up the ground, you may know what summer. Know that summer has arrived. Okay, so sense? summer is, is signified by the ants tearing up your yard. Yep, there you go. Um, the last two, uh, we are going to leave it up to the significant others okay. of our, our relationships. So uh, your wife uh, coming in with a choice of 1,001, and that one is lay penny royal leaves over your cabbage plants and the worms will desert them. Penny royal? What did? Yeah, no, hmm. idea, no idea. No idea. Yeah. Okay. 
my wife coming across with this one, 9,355, and this is the one we'll wrap up with. Never tell a woman you don't love her because she will hoodoo you and you will have to love her then. Words of wisdom from Adams County. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> kind of deep. It is right. So, so, can we hear that one more time? There's a lot to process there. Never tell a woman you don't love her because she will hoodoo you, and you will have to love her then. Meaning that if you, she says I love you, and you say don't say it back. Well, what she's going to do is she's going to put a curse on you, and then you're going to love her anyway. You won't be able to not love her. Choose, choose so it's love. Just as good, just a lie. Choose love. There you go. So there. You- <laughs> thought that was pretty good i just said hey give me a number and, and that's what she came up with uh yeah so there you go that's our, our our folklore our history our fact our knowledge from our forefathers and foremothers still looking for that shirt by the way uh, mr yeah, yeah 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 um hey hey i think <laughs> there may be a ghost hollow shirt up on the merch site soon just fyi oh oh i bet you that'd be a popular popular one uh hey you know something else is gonna be popular during the off seasons these wild files tell us more about that travis chris they're almost here we it's like the end of the season but a exciting new adventure awaits just around the corner wild files we've been collecting yours the listener files stories of the weird wild wonderful we got a great uh a great couple stories on experiences at ghost hollow coming up pretty soon out of the gate here in wild files we got some really cool ghost stories lined up and uh it's gonna be fun it's kind of different we haven't done this thing before chris so we're kind of feeling our way around but you can still get your wild files to us just let us know anything you got that's interesting weird wild wild wonderful maybe it's a family history maybe it's a quincy related object you have or an heirloom or maybe your relative with somebody of some prominence in quincy or or elsewhere we just want to hear about it you can email us at wildquincy at gmail.com or you can give us a call or a text at 612-666-9453. That's 612-666-WILD. And give it to us. We want to hear your story. You could be part of the Wild Files. It'll be a good time, I guarantee. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I'm very excited about this. I, I think that uh, with uh, the historical aspects of the family stuff, I think that could be extremely interesting because that's not the that's the kind of stuff that doesn't make the newspapers yeah. and doesn't get out there. So if you have some sort of really neat history, something that you, has to do with your family, let us know. I mean, I think that would be very fascinating to see some of those stories. So so yeah, give us a give us a shout out. Let us know, and uh, we'll be looking for that. And, and again, into the season, we're wrapping things up for season four, prepping for season five just around the corner. And yes, there will be a season five coming your way uh, here in the uh, coming months weeks who knows we'll figure it out uh but before we get to that point in time you know we've had some amazing responses this year we've had some amazing patreon members amazing listeners and not only that but we've had some amazing uh, businesses that have uh have stepped up and become a part of the wild uh quincy family and and travis i i know you've been uh wanting to uh, to give them a little shout out so i'll step it over yeah absolutely uh at the 20 dollar patron level you can have your uh, business be a kind of a business sponsor of wild quincy uh the first ones that took took it up this year were lion's pride We've heard a lot about Lion's Pride. They're, of course, Quincy's premier DJ, karaoke photo booth, and officiating service provider at QuincyDJ.com. They were the first 
first to uh, be a sponsor of ours. We appreciate that. And then just recently, Cooking with Carly came on board, and that's a website. It's a cool blog, a collection of family-favorite recipes, both new and old, with a busy modern family in mind. Lots of cool recipes. It's a fun story of how her site really evolved from just being the curator of family recipes and then just grew bigger and bigger. And you can check that out at cookingwithcarly.com. That's cooking with C-A-R-L-E-E.com, cookingwithcarly.com. So we thank you both uh, for the support. And if you're uh, wanting to get the word out on your business, it's easy to do. Jump over to the Patreon side, become a supporter at the $20 level. You'll get a ad on our, our, our website as well as some shout outs periodically on the podcast. We're growing and growing. The numbers are really taken off this year on listenership. So um, now's a great time to get your foot in the door as we get ready for season five. Yeah. Absolutely. We've, uh, again, uh, we can't thank them uh, enough. We can't thank our Patreon members enough. We've added a a ton of Patreon members this year, and we can't thank you guys because, again, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, when uh, we released the Ghost Hollow Road, it exploded on social media, and uh, that's the kind of uh, help that we need, and we we, we appreciate that greatly for you, uh, getting the word out about Wild Quincy and, and telling others. So thank you guys so much for an awesome season, and we're looking forward to another great season season coming up in season five here in just a little time but uh we can't wrap things up yet travis because we do have one last piece of the pie That's you know what that right. might be i think we need to figure out this question of the day yeah so let's do a recap real quick uh, the question is this which one of these events has taken place in the city limits of quincy your options are adams county fair illinois state fair the illinois valley fair or the turkey testicle festival travis your thoughts Oh, tell me you're going to go Turkey Festival. I, I want to. I uh, with every fiber of my being, I want to say Testicle Festival. Was it the Turkey Testicle Festival? That is correct. It's so good, but I don't know. I don't know. It's it's like you want me to pick that. <laughs> And I, I, I do want to point out real quick here is that uh, I have these quizzes that I give to my students and they're just practice quizzes just so they get familiar with some stuff. And I do throw some like trickery in there and it didn't really like like come to my mind until just now of like, I think I've really messed around with a lot of people thinking there's a lot of trickery questions in this stuff because I do it in the class too. So sorry, I'm, I'm on. Well, I overthink it too. Uh, so it doesn't help. Yeah. Give me this. Uh, <laughs> give me the options one more time if you could. You got Adams County Fair, Illinois State Fair, the Illinois Valley Fair, of course, the Turkey Testicle Festival. Oh, man. What would you even do with turkey testicles, Chris? I mean, are they... <laughs> eat are they, I mean, eat I know you can do like, what do they call with the cow, the calf, uh, Fry. calf fries? Is that what they call those? Uh, mountain oysters. Mountain oysters. I mean, that's, it's substantial, but I mean... Same thing. Like, what kind of, what kind of, what's the turkey packing down there? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> That's a I don't know, go to the little giblet. Little giblets. You need a need a lot to to go get your your. I don't know how to finish that. It's sentence. a big it's a big pile of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> All right, they're having a ball bad. down there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, I think it, not not the Adams County Fair. You're gonna tell me that it was like a weird year and they did that. I know. Um, uh, I'm gonna go see. The Illinois Valley Fair? I don't know what it is, but maybe it was an obscure thing that happened. Because um, we used to have a lot more area to host that at like Baldwin Park. Mm. So okay. let's do the C. All right, going with Illinois Valley Fair. I, I want it to be D. I want it to be the jerky thing, oh, I, but I don't, I don't I think do. it is. 
I, I do too. And unfortunately, it's not the Turkey Testicle Festival. And unfortunately, it's also not the Illinois Valley Fair. Ah. Uh, it is none other than the Illinois State Fair. Really? In Quincy? Yes. Yeah. In 1867, well, the sense. Illinois State Fair came to Quincy and uh, it was part of a, a kind of a, a time frame where it was jumping around from location to location. Uh, the year before it was in, uh, let's see here, it was in Chicago the year before. The year before that was Decatur. Then it came to Quincy and then it went to Decatur again. Then it's a couple different places but unfortunately not very successful in the quincy area so they decided to move it eventually of course going to the location uh, they are currently at at, uh, springfield for the illinois state fair uh by the way just to give you uh, wrapping things up with the other ones adams county fairs as far as i can tell unless somebody knows better has always been near menden illinois has never been in quincy as far as i can tell uh it was used to be in menden and then they moved just south of menden and then the illinois valley fair is actually what is now known as the Western Illinois Fair in Griggsville. Oh. That's what originally okay. started out as the Illinois Valley Fair uh, in Griggsville. Now, of course, like I said, Western Illinois. So there you go. Oh, oh by, I almost forgot about the most important one. The Turkey Testicle <laughs> Festival is held yearly in Huntley, Illinois. Huntley. What? Boy, Huntley. what kind of drive is Huntley? Any idea? I don't know, but I think we need to make a I trip, I think we Travis. need a Wild Quincy road trip to go check out the Turkey Testicle <laughs> Festival. I agree. Let's mark it on the calendar. It's our next Patreon outing. Uh, Turkey Testicle Festival. I love it. Ooh, is that a shirt design? <laughs> let's not get crazy. I, like I, still, I got a backlog issue to keep pointing out, so let's not do that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, again, uh, we are looking forward to season five of uh, Wild Quincy coming your way uh, in the next month or so. So be listening for that. Travis, before we wrap up this season, uh, besides thanking Carol Sowers for coming on and being a part of uh, our last episode of the season, are we missing anything else? Just thanks to all the great guests we've had this year or this season. Um, you know, we'll do some wildfire episodes. I'd say we got a good maybe five, six, seven in, in, on the queue here. But, you know, if you're missing us in before season five, you have a treasure trove awaiting on the Patreon side. To, to you know, we, we go away, but there's a lot you haven't heard if you haven't joined the Patreon side. So uh, we thank everyone for listening. And like Chris said, tell a friend. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, 50 plus episodes on uh, Patreon for you to listen to during the off season. Well, for Travis Hoffman, I'm uh, Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you next season. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft. And thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.